This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. This podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Who do you talk to when you're feeling sad, depressed, anxious, or overwhelmed? Who do you talk to when you're grieving? That's what we're going to discuss today. We're here with Lori Gottlieb. She's the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Mm. Also, her new podcast is called Dear Therapist. I believe you're in season yeah. two right now. We are. We are. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank awesome you. podcast. Doing a great job. It's, yeah. yeah. I really like it. You know what? We have so much to talk about today. And uh, Ryan often refers to his mommy and daddy issues, as he calls them. <laughs> I think we'll get to some of those on the Maximal episode. And also, I have this weird aversion to achievement. And I, maybe I th- you could help me unpack that a little bit. So you'll help both of us maybe deal with our problems on the Maximal. But during this Minimal today, we want to talk about therapy. We want to talk about mental health. This is a listener-driven show. So I thought we would dive right into our questions. We have a question here from Instagram. Jen has a question for us. When is the appropriate time to talk to a therapist is there someone we should talk to before we seek professional help hmm so you know i i think about this as well because i often i often talk to ryan as though he's my therapist mm. i have a, a, a strange sort of aversion to therapy and i realize that might be a blind spot for me so maybe I'm, I'm definitely not the right person to be answering this question but ryan has helped me sort through a lot of my a lot of understanding with respect to issues that I have that come up in my life. Now, we've known each other for a really long time. We were fat little fifth graders when we met. And so he has an understanding of me and also my preferences, my behaviors, my, well, really my, my, um, my beliefs, mm-hmm. my values as well. And, and so he's often someone I, I talk to first. In fact, I've talked to several therapists in the past and quite often Ryan helps me unpack things better than those people have helped me. But I think that might say something about me. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say that's really interesting because usually it's the opposite. So, so many of us think, um, you know, let, let me go to my friends with this problem. And the problem with doing that, and I'm not saying don't talk to your friends, you should talk to your friends. But what friends offer us is something called idiot compassion, usually. And, and, and so what they do is they back up your story. So you're like, this thing happened with my boss or with my partner or with my mom or my child or whatever it is. And we're like, yeah, you know, you're right. They're wrong. And how could they do that? That's terrible. We always take our friends side mm-hmm. because we think that we're supporting them. But actually, that's not very helpful because if you listen to your friends over time, there's often some pattern, right? That mm-hmm. like, like, well, why do guys keep breaking up with you? Well, they keep breaking up with you. Maybe if you stop going through their phones or you stop like, you know, texting them at all hours, whatever it is, right? <laughs> we don't say that to them. It's, and, and, and so what people really need to see, it's kind of like if a fight breaks out in every bar you're going to, maybe it's you. We don't say that to our friends because yeah. we feel like they don't, they don't want to hear that. When you go to a therapist, you get wise compassion, 
Wise compassion is when we hold up a mirror to you and we help you to see something about yourself that maybe you haven't been willing or able to see. Mm -hmm. And so what are your patterns? What are these blind spots? What are the ways in which you self-sabotage? What are the ways in which you are playing a role in what's not working in your life? Let's talk about self-sabotage. What does that mean and how does it manifest in different people? It's like the difference between what we say we want and what we do. So we say we want something and then we do the very thing that will guarantee that we don't get that something. Mm. That's self-sabotage. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. So I'm trying to think of some examples here. So, so some easy examples would be with respect to diet or exercise. Maybe I want to go to the gym every single day, but instead I'm sitting on the couch eating potato chips sort of thing. Right. Right. And there, there are other ways like, you know, I, I don't like the job that I'm in, but, oh yeah, I was offered my dream job, but oh, the commute is so far, so I'm not going to take it. Uh. Right. Like what is that resistance? What's happening? And part of it is that changing our our ways is so hard. Mm. So we think that change, even positive change is going to be good for us. So you say, you know, this is why New Year's resolutions fail all the time, yeah, right? Yeah. Because you're making a change that you think is positive. And then you say, well, why can't I make this change if I know that it's good for me? Um, and, and that's because, and maybe you should talk to someone, there's a chapter called How Humans Change, and it's about the stages of change. And it's not like Nike, where it's like, just do it, <laughs> right? You know, we think that's what it is. I make up my mind, I'm going to make this change, and I'm going to do it. It doesn't generally last. Usually, there are a lot of stages before. There's pre-contemplation, where you don't even know that you're thinking about making a change. There's contemplation, where now it's conscious, and you know, okay... I want to make this change, but I'm not ready yet. And then there's preparation where you start preparing to make the change. And then action is the, is the just do it phase where you're actually going to do it. But the most important phase of change is maintenance. Mm. So people think once you've made the change, that's the change. No. Maintenance is how do you maintain the change? And what people don't know about maintenance is that you are going to slip back. That's built into maintenance. So most people think, oh, like take New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm going to exercise more. And then you go through this phase where you're like, oh, I didn't exercise today. See, I failed at this. Forget it. I'm just going to sit on the couch for the rest of the year. Right. That's what people do. But no, you just, okay, that was that day. And then you get back on track the next day. And as you keep getting back on track, you're going to slip back less until the new thing becomes a habit and a new way of life for you. People do this with change with like, they won't leave a relationship that they know they need to leave. Or mm -hmm. they, they won't, um, you know, do something in their job to move ahead where they know they really want to move ahead and be promoted. But they don't do those things because they... They, they haven't gone through all of these stages of change, and it's, it's generally not going to work if you haven't done that. Mm, interesting. So, I mean, just going back to another example, if there's a woman who is like with an abusive partner, mm -hmm. what, what, are the, what are the reasons for her being so scared to, to leave that relationship? Well, so, so change involves loss and what you're losing is the familiar, mm. even if the familiar is miserable, like this woman who's with the abusive partner, um, but it's familiar, uh. at least she knows it. And so the thing about change is that it leads to uncertainty and humans don't do well with uncertainty. We don't like that. We like to have control. We like to know what's happening. Mm. It's kind of like with change, she can leave that guy, but then she's going to be plopped into this foreign land where she doesn't know the culture, the mores, the language, the directions. And that's really scary, at least with this guy. And this is a terrible reason to stay with someone. But in her mind, probably, at least with this guy, she knows what she's going to get. Yeah, she and knows so what to expect. She knows what to expect. Yeah. And so it, change really forces you to push yourself out of your comfort zone.
And, and that's why I think for someone like that going, you know, going back to your question about, you know, what is it, what is the good of going to a therapist? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a therapist can really help you to see what is holding you back here. Yeah. Cause you can talk about it forever with your friends. Probably nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. Something internal has to shift. And if you want to get to that place, a therapist can help you get there faster. Yeah. I, I know for me, I always talk about uh, having a therapist is like, it's a tool in my toolbox that I need to go to every once in a while. I do talk to Josh a lot about my problems and he's very helpful, but sometimes I need like this outside opinion to kind of help me get a different perspective. And that's what I feel like. I have a therapist who I see when I'm just having some troubles getting over certain certain things, certain thoughts. And what he does for me is he almost like gives me different lenses yes. to look at the situation. And, and then I get to choose which lens I look at it through and it helps me to process these feelings a little bit more. I, I love the mirror reference too, because that's the other thing too. Like we, a therapist can help you take a little bit more responsibility than maybe you're not taking. Right. So first of all, I think going to a therapist is like getting a really good second opinion on your life from someone who's not already in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and people don't really think of it that way. So mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's really important. And this thing about the lenses, right? So a lot of times people come to therapy and they want something to change. But usually what they want to change is someone else or something else. So yeah. it's like, change this problematic person in my life. <laughs> How do I change that's this very, person? I'm here because they're the problem. Yeah. And by the way, you know, we have this saying in therapy, before diagnosing someone with depression, make sure they aren't surrounded by assholes. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not saying there aren't difficult people <laughs> out podcast, there. That's good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you know, there are difficult people. But then the question is, okay, why are you in relationship with this difficult person? Mm. Or what is your role in making things even more difficult? How do you respond to this person? Mm. How do you do the dance with this person so that you keep revisiting the same argument, the same conflict, the same tension, whatever it is? So it helps you to understand more about your part so that you have agency. I think the great thing about therapy is it gives you agency. A lot of people come in and they say, you know, I'm, I'm helpless because of all these these, all these people out there, all these circumstances. And it's like, you have a role in your own life too. And this is how you can have agency in your own life. I love it. It's almost like some people, uh, maybe they don't even know what level to take responsibility. So I think a therapist can help someone get to that, that appropriate level. Um, yeah, I, I, I think a therapist, everyone should have a therapist in their phone because it Hmm. is, it's a, it's a tool that you can have in your toolbox that, yeah, that can really help you get through things. So to answer like Jen's question head on, I would say, Jen, if you find yourself getting stuck, if you find yourself uh, doing the same thing over and over again, and uh, you're, you're, it's hard to break a pattern, like this is where, like, yeah, maybe you want to go to an outside source to help you make the changes you want to make in your life. I would say one more thing in answer to her question, which is, and maybe you should talk to someone, my own therapist at one point when I was feeling stuck, said, you know, you remind me of this cartoon, and it's of a prisoner shaking the bars, desperately trying to get out. But on the right and the left, it's open. No Mm. bars. And so why don't we walk around the bars if it's open, right? She can walk out of that relationship. Mm. But why don't we? Because with freedom comes responsibility. Mm. And if we walk around the bars, then we are responsible for our own lives. And that can be incredibly scary. Yeah, yeah. When we're talking about who therapy is appropriate for, we also have to keep in mind that not everyone can afford therapy as well. In fact, I know podcast Sean is going through this as well. So usually we have people call in, leave voicemails, or they obviously text or tweet questions to us. But I figured we'd let podcast Sean ask a question today on microphone since he's he's going through something personally. Podcast Sean. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um what do we do when cost is an impediment to mental health care? 
Several members of my family could certainly benefit from the care and guidance of a licensed therapist, but our health insurance won't cover it. We're right in the sweet spot of income where we don't qualify for public assistance and licensed therapists in our area are hovering around $500 an hour. So he's is, saying that we're paying him too much, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, which is $500 an hour out of pocket for us, mm. which is a significant impact on our monthly budget. But we're not paying him that much. Right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, another family member of ours was in a similar situate, situation, rather, which likely contributed to his suicide when he couldn't afford appropriate care. Mm. Wow. So that is a real issue. That has been an issue, I think, you know, always. Um, And that's because we don't treat mental health the way that we treat physical health. So physical health, you get insurance. Um, you know, people don't say, oh, you broke an arm. Well, sorry, (laughs) don't, you know, you're just going to have to sit there with the broken arm, right? right? You go to the emergency room, there are ways to handle that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, and I think that what a lot of people don't know though, is that there are free, like low fee or no fee clinics in most major cities. And one thing that happened during COVID was people said, I don't even have to be in that city. Right. So now because of because everybody started doing things online and people are continuing to do that, if your city doesn't have a clinic. So we're here in L.A., there are tons of them um, and and it's based on your income. You show them your all of your information and you pay, you know, some of them are are no fee. Some of them are like five dollars a session. Some of them are like twenty dollars a session, depending on your income. Um, so people don't know that they have access to those. So that's really important to Google those in your city. Mm. Um, and, and I would say the other thing to do is to help family members. Sometimes family members, you know, don't know how to go about this. So to help them and give them the references and help them to make those phone calls. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking earlier when you, you talked about how we're constantly trying to change other people. And, and I mean, this has been going on for millennia, obviously. Right. And, and, and so, my problem is always that someone else's. It's easier for me to offload the, the blame onto someone else, right? Mm-hmm. You did this to me. You're responsible for my own for my discontent. Well, of course, no one has the power to make me upset, angry, sad, whatever. It's always ultimately on me. But it's very easy to have these externalities, and it's the reason we started the whole minimalist. It is is that, well, we pursue happiness through externalities, usually through things in, in our culture, right? And of course, when that doesn't work, then we often turn to other things that also make us discontent, whether it's addiction, you know, alcohol abuse, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And with the trying to change other people, I'm sure that you've seen quite a few people, especially in, in like couples therapy, for example, where it's, hey, let's go to couples therapy so I can help you change. Well, let's talk about the downsides of trying to change other people. I see a lot of couples in my practice. And one of the things that I do before they even come in is I have them think about how they want to make the relationship better, what they individually can do. Uh So before they even come in, the focus isn't, how are you going to change something about the other person? It's what is your goal for yourself in terms of how you think you can make this relationship better? Uh And I think that's a great orientation to start with because already it's, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to be the best person I can be in this relationship. And whatever they do, they do, my partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it makes each person take responsibility for their role and they see the other person taking responsibility and that makes them motivated to change too. Yeah, that's such a hard first step. But like when it comes to any tumultuous relationship, 
uh, I know I was guilty of having a tumultuous relationship where I'm like, well, I'm not going to start trying until they start trying. And that's, it's yeah, just, no, it's a no win attitude. Right, yeah. right. Well, actually, because it's, it's really the relationship that you're working on. It's not, you're not working on the other person. You're working on the relationship and you're working yeah. on who are you in the relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, on our podcast, on the Dear Therapist podcast, we have couples on sometimes mm. and it's really fun. We had, uh, because I think you, you move them so much more quickly when you have both of them together. And I find this in my practice too. So um, in season two, we have a, a mother and her daughter on her adult daughter and they have a lot of long-standing issues and it's really great to work with them together because we you can hear us on the podcast getting each of them to take responsibility for their own role mm. and to make changes um and and you can see it happen in real time on the podcast oh man i want to call in with my mother and get some help <laughs> <laughs> well she had made the comment to me one time she was like um you know for us to work out every all of our issues she was like, we need to sit down in a room with a therapist mm-hmm. and work out all our issues. And like, we've never, we've never done anything. We both have really gone out of our way to like make the relationship better. Wait, why didn't you take her up on that? Uh, because she's in Ohio and I'm in Montana and it's, you know, it's a really easy excuse to be like, well, you know, we're not together in the same city, but certainly there's a way to do it. There is a way to yeah, do online, it. Yeah. On, on, yeah. We have the, if internet. your mother we're is watching this, then yeah. I'm holding you accountable yeah, right no, now. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I really like it. Cause, uh, this has kind of inspired me to try harder. Cause I mean, the fact is, is like, I didn't do it because it wasn't something I felt like I needed to do. It's not something that I desired as much as she desired. However, if I really want to improve the relationship between us, I would recognize her desires and I would, I would do what, you know, do something, try, try something to, to fulfill whatever she's asking of me. So yes, thank you for, thank you for inspiring this in me. I will, I will look into it. Maybe you got a recommendation to someone I can, uh, I can, you know, put on a Skype call or something. That would be good. I, I like that the fact that there is, there are affordable options essentially for everyone because that's a thing that we don't think about. I know Sean was going through that and, and, and trying to figure out, okay, there's someone in my family who could use some help, but also spending $500 an hour is untenable, right? And, and so realizing that, wait, wait a minute, if I do need help, there are people who are distant enough from the relationship or from me or from my situation who can point me in the right direction. Yeah. We have a question here from Nancy in Rock Island, Illinois. It may help to have a saying or two to motivate you or calm you when things aren't like you'd like them to be, a sort of attitude of gratitude. A quote that's helped me on this mobilization is, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Uh, my questions: What other thoughts or sayings have helped you? So, Lori, if I were to rephrase Nancy's question here, maybe we just say: What mantras, self-talk, meditations, etc., have helped you keep focused, centered, and positive when addressing some of life's challenges? So, uh, what are your thoughts on you know positive self-talk in general? Well, you know, I I did a TED talk about how we all have these stories that we carry around about ourselves in our heads. You know, they might be like, I'm unlovable or I can't trust anyone or nothing will ever work out for me. And I think that when we don't realize that those are operating in the background, they affect every choice, decision, everything that we do, basically, every interaction we have during our daily lives. And so I think that we need to kind of change how we're talking to ourselves. So some people use these affirmations to do that. Um, other people really sort of, you know, kind of change the radio station when that like, you know, horrible radio station is playing with these these 
messages that just aren't true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, when I give talks, often I will be, you know, up on the stage and I'll say, you know, show of hands, who's the person that you talk to most in the course of your life? Is it your partner, your parents, your sibling, you know, whatever it is. And you get lots of hands for those. But the person that we talk to most in the course of our lives is ourselves. Yes. And what we say to ourselves is not always kind or true or useful. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when you start to notice that you're speaking to yourself in a way that is not kind or true or useful, that's a time. It doesn't have to be an affirmation. It could just be a, wait a minute, this is just not helpful in any way. It's not true. It's not kind. It's not useful. Yes. Um, I find that I had a client, um, most people don't realize that they are so self-critical. And so I had a client who was like that. And I said, I want you to go home and I want you to write down, listen for that voice in your head and write down everything that you hear and come back next week and we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. And she was very skeptical, but she came back the next week. She had done the assignment. She gets out her phone and starts reading this and she starts crying. And she says, I can't even read this to you because I am such a bully to myself. I had no idea. And they were things like she was typing an email and she, she had made a typo and she said to herself, you're so stupid or she like caught her reflection in a mirror and she said god you look terrible you know just these ways that you would never talk to a friend that way because you wouldn't actually think that if your friend made a typo or looked however you looked that day you would not think that of your friend or you wouldn't spend any more time with that friend if they were constantly criticizing you the way that you criticize you one of my favorite lyrics is from a singer-songwriter named matt nathanson he said i would kill anyone who treats you as bad as you do Yes, Mm. yes. So we have to be good friends to ourselves. We have to have a good relationship with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's easier said than done, but uh, but yeah, it's it because I find myself with the negative self talk, and I do catch myself, and I'm like, okay, man, like this is not helpful. This is just you know producing more anxiety. Um, I can hold space for it and say, okay, like there's something going on, but instead of feeling bad, it's like hey, Nicodemus, like be better. Like that's really what it comes down to. And that's, you know, it's just like a little affirmation that just helps me rephrase it. And I don't even know if that's the right way to approach it, but it does help me to interrupt those, those negative thoughts. But well, I think, I think that what people need in those moments is self-compassion. Oh yeah. And, and people think that if they have self-compassion that somehow that they're being weak, you know, it's like, oh, that's indulgent. Mm. Um, as opposed to, and people think the way that I'm going to get ahead, the way that I'm going to succeed in life is if I self-flagellate, if I'm like work harder, be better, you know, like that kind of thing. No, um, self-compassion actually takes away the shame. So when you self-flagellate, you're sort of bathed in shame for whatever the thing is that you perceive that you didn't do well enough. Mm-hmm. And when you get rid of the shame, there's room for, oh, I'm human. Um, you know, this is something that I would do differently next time. And now I'm going to go do things differently. Yeah. It, it opens things up for you instead of instead of like keeping you in the same place. Ooh, so maybe like a path towards self-love is self-compassion. Because one time I was late calling a friend and I just felt so guilty, like, you know, time flew by. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, man. And I'm just like going on and on and on. He's like, hey, man, do you want to make it up to me? I'm like, yes. What, what can I do to make it up to you? He was like, be really kind to yourself right now. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's a good friend. And it was and it was like an instant, like, weight off my shoulders. And I'm so glad he said that because yeah, it, it reminds me that it's much better to show myself compassion than like, suck it up, Nicodemus. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can be so unkind to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is it's not really our voice. We're not born that way. You know, we're not born sort of, yeah. you know, criticizing yeah. ourselves. It's some voice that we heard somewhere else that got internalized. And I think for a lot of people, what happens is, you know, a lot of the work of therapy is helping people to let go of the hope for having had a better childhood. Oh, yeah. And what I mean by that is that if you don't grieve whatever you, whatever loss you feel like you missed out on in childhood or whatever, however you were disappointed in childhood, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying everybody was, Mm -hmm. but there's no such thing as a perfect parent. And we don't blame parents in therapy. We're not there to blame parents at all because parents are human too. And they did their best. There's, there's not a parent that I have ever met, no matter how limited they might have been, mm-hmm. um, who didn't truly want the best for their child, even mm-hmm. if they went about it in a way that was incredibly unfortunate. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's interesting. I had this realization just a few years ago because I, I would always tell myself, well, my childhood should have been this way. My parents mm-hmm. should have done this. They should have done that. And, you know, I got all this resentment, and, you know, it just builds and builds. And then I had this realization of like, wait, like Ryan you're almost 40 years old, man. And you don't have it figured out. Your parents had you at 20. Like, why would I expect them to have it figured out at 20 if I don't have it figured out at 40? And certainly now they're in their sixties yeah. and it's the same thing. Like they don't, they're just trying to live their lives the same way. And it really helped me put in perspective that they did what they could. Well, it's yeah. both and. So mm. when we get older, we can see our parents as, as humans, as opposed to the people who we wish had done something differently for us. Um, And we have a lot of compassion for that because we're adults and we see, oh, wow, we're fallible too. We make mistakes too. Mm -hmm. Um, And, so I say both and, because and we can grieve what we didn't get. So it's not just like forgive them. And Mm -hmm. I have, you know, I talk and maybe you should talk to someone a lot about forced forgiveness, that Mm -hmm. people think you're supposed to forgive people Mm -hmm. and that will set you free. Now for some people that is helpful, but for others it feels like, wait a minute, I don't actually forgive this. I can have compassion for my mother, my father, for this person. Mm. Um, I can have compassion passion for them that I couldn't have when I was younger, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I forgive them. And somehow, you know, that can be a lot more freeing for a lot of people. It's huge. I mean, that just helped me in the sense that like my stepfather was very abusive and we, I've talked before on the podcast about forgiving him. And I can't, it's like intellectually, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I forgive you. But emotionally, like it's hard for me to not well, right. It's and hard for me to let it go. But but what I can work on is showing him more compassion and start there before I, you know, maybe that'll help me work towards forgiveness. And you don't have to get to forgiveness. That That's oh, the whole point oh, is that, that the good. thing about the <laughs> thing about forced forgiveness is that it's forced. Mm. And so it's 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 a good thing as we grow up and a sign of maturity where we can have compassion for other people and we can understand where they came from and maybe why they were doing what they were doing. But that doesn't mean you forgive the fact that he abused you. Yeah. Right. And so you can hold both at the same time. Mm. And that's that's really what we do a lot in therapy. Right. Is is holding both. So it's not like the parents are we're we're there to slam the parents. We're not. Mm. But we're also there to say, yes, you you were exposed to this thing. You experienced this thing. And Mm. that was incredibly difficult. Yeah. See, this whole podcast was just a ruse to get you in here and give me a a therapy (laughs) therapy session. But we'll we'll touch more on that on the maximal. Nancy, I'm going to send you a copy of maybe you should talk to someone. And I also want to send you a copy of our new book. It's called Love People Use Things. 
things. In fact, I was told by the publisher yesterday, I'm supposed to say this to you know, announce it from the rooftops, that it is now a New York Times bestselling book. Mm. But I have an aversion to even talking about this. And so maybe you can help me unpack that a little bit when we get onto the, the Maximal episode, because to me, it feels a little bit egoic and not that that's a bad thing, but it's not the driver for doing what we do. And so... I don't know. Maybe I have a slight allergy to the, to the whole thing. Mm. And See, I think maybe you can unpack that. Okay. For me. So having just had a book, you know, come out. So with maybe you should talk to someone. I'm going to say this loud and proud, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, which goes against every cultural mandate. Um, the book was on the New York Times bestseller list for a year. It sold over a million copies so far, mm. um, and I am really proud of that. Okay. Yeah. And I think that we have this thing where we're not allowed to be proud of something that's very meaningful to us. My mm-hmm. book was incredibly meaningful to me. Your book, I know mm-hmm. you wrote for the same reasons. It was mm-hmm. incredibly meaningful and it's touching so many people. Yeah. And so why not be proud of that? Yeah. Well, okay. Let's get yes. into it in the maximum. Yeah, we, we will because yeah. there's so much to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Why not be proud of it is a great question. By the way, Nancy, I'd also love to give you a couple tickets to our live event. We're coming to Illinois. Well, we'll be in Chicago, which is not too far from you. We're doing 20 cities this fall and winter. It's called the Love People Use Things tour. We're going to give a live minimalism talk. I'm going to do a reading from the book. We're also going to do a live version of the minimalist podcast and answer a bunch of your questions on the road. 20 cities, US and Canada. You can find all the details over at theminimalists.com slash tour. But podcast, Sean, if you could please reach out to Nancy and give her a couple tickets. We'd love to see you there. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Now, Lori, during the lightning round, this is where we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes. Well, podcast Sean does. So our good friend Jessica Lynn Williams can copy and share them on social media. And you listening at home can copy and share these pithy sayings on social media as well. But really what we do is we maunder on a bit till we find something that is somewhat pithy that Sean will edit down and make it look beautiful. We have a question here from Jackie. Why does there seem to be a stigma against mental health in older generations? And more specifically, how can we get our parents to talk about their feelings and vulnerabilities? So, Laura, well, I'll give you a pithy answer from me and then maybe we can unpack it together here. To love someone is to see them for who they are without trying to change them. I think quite often we think of love as conditional. Hey, if you do these seven different things, then I will love you, right? Or, hey, if I do these seven different things, then I can force Ryan to love me as well, as though it's a grocery list or Mm. a, a top seven list on Reddit or something, right? But that's a misunderstanding of love in a way. Now, that doesn't answer this question directly here, but I I think quite often what 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 we try to do is say, well, you're supposed to share your feelings. Here's and, what you need. Yes. Yeah. W- with me. Yeah. And I want to be careful there, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I think that different people communicate in different ways. And so, um, you know, your parents might communicate their love, maybe not through what they say, but through what they do. Mm. Um, some people communicate their love through their body language as opposed to through their words. So, um, yes. you know, so I think that the, you have to be, you have to honor the different ways that people communicate. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So, um, I think in terms of getting people to go to therapy, uh-huh. right? Um, I think that if you see someone struggling, the way to approach them is to say, 
it breaks my heart to see you struggle so much. I care so much about you. I've been to someone. Um, maybe it would help to go talk to someone, mm. right? So it doesn't make it like you have a problem or you're always yelling or you're depressed or you're anxious, so you need to go to therapy. It's yes. more like... I want you to. I want you to struggle less. Like I see you're having a hard time, and it breaks my heart because I care so much about you. Yes. Yeah. 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 I come at it from a loving, compassionate point of view rather than a. Here's what you should do. I'm yeah. not talking to you, and so you go see a therapist. <laughs> well, I think the stigma thing too is is a big thing, you know, yeah. because I think you know it's like it's like we have this higher this sorry we have this hierarchy of pain. Um, so it's like, it's like, um, you know, well, I'm a little bit sad, but I'm not having an all out breakdown. So I'm not going to go see a therapist. Um, you know, maybe I'm anxious or I can't sleep or I'm having these relational difficulties, mm. but I have a roof over my head and food on the table. So it's not that bad compared to whatever. We don't do this with physical health, right? Mm. We don't say, well, yeah, I broke my arm, but I don't have stage four cancer. Mm. So I'm not going to go to the doctor yeah. or it's like, I have a little heart pain, but not, you know, I have, like <laughs> I'm having palpitations, <laughs> but like, I'm not on the floor with a heart attack. So I'm right. not going to go to the cardiologist. People don't come to therapy until they're having the equivalent of an emotional heart attack Oof. so often mm. so it's like you are now it's like going to the er why are people waiting so long the problem with waiting so long is not only did you suffer unnecessarily for so long for months sometimes years mm. but also it's harder to treat at that point because it's like if you never went to the doctor and then all of a sudden you come in and you're really sick yeah. so come yeah. in when you want to talk to someone it doesn't have to be a crisis you know, it was Tony Soprano, and I think the New York Times wrote an article about how he made it okay to go yeah. see a therapist. And I remember watching that show back in my corporate days. And, you know, every show pretty much began with him, like, talking to his therapist. And I just remember thinking, like, oh, man, that is so cool that, like, he goes and he just, like, unloads on someone once a week. And so I started to do that. And, yeah, it really does make a difference. So um, getting ahead of it before you have this, like, this, this what did you call it, a mental... Heart attack? An emotional, An emotional heart attack. Heart attack. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I totally, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's a great, great way to look at it. So I got a real pithy answer here. It's uh, to accept is to love, to expect is to unlove. So accepting your, your, your family, your friends, you know, for who they are, that's really uh, how you're going to help that relationship flourish. But yeah, throwing these expectations on them, it's probably going to do the opposite of what you want it to do. It's interesting. It makes me think about um, your podcast you did, uh, Jeff's critical parents, I think is what yes, it was called. Yes. And what was so the biggest takeaway that I got from that podcast was you helped him learn like, Hey, I like, it's, it's easy to understand why you think your parents should be the teacher and you should be the student and they should take care of you. But unfortunately the way life goes, sometimes the, the, the child has to be the teacher and that's okay. But like taking on that role also might help, uh, you know, Jackie here look at at her situation with a different perspective. You, maybe you got to be the teacher in this situation. That's okay. Yeah. So on the Dear Therapist podcast, one of the we do a session with somebody every week, and this was with Jeff, and he had these very critical parents. And and at the end of it, we give him a homework assignment that he has to try out and report back to us on. And we ask him to teach his parents about 
being sensitive mm. and making that be kind of like a superpower, right? Mm-hmm. And and teaching them about the impact of that they're extremely critical and what happens when they say those things to him. And and um, what's interesting is in season two that we just started, we have follow-ups with the people from season one. So we always get a week follow-up in every episode, but this is a year follow-up. And we just got Jeff's. Oh, wow. And I'm not going to give it away because oh, it's so good. That's cool. But I will just say this. You, you remember in the episode, his, his, his father reacted very well to yes. the homework. The mother did not react not as so well. well. A year later, you guys are going to love oh, the update. I can't wait to hear it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We've that's got a so bunch cool. more to talk about, but first, here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Check them out. Hi, my name is Lisa, and I'm calling from Maryland. I really just wanted to give a comment. I have listened to your podcast for about a year and have enjoyed many of them. Thank you. And I also just wanted to make a comment in reference to family, friends, and gifts. My granddaughter will be four in August, and my Gen Y daughter is a budding minimalist, and as a result of that is trying to reduce the number of gifts coming into her home. So she did an invitation and indicated that there could be donations made to the NICU, which my granddaughter uh, resided in for a brief period of time after her birth, or give a donation to her college fund. We were discussing the backlash that she received from people that she worked with who came up to her and told her that she was denying her child a childhood uh, and a variety of other rather negative responses. I'm proud of my daughter. She's holding tight and holding fast and will continue to use this option for my granddaughter's birthday. But it was interesting to actually see this firsthand as opposed to just, you know, hearing about it on the podcast. Hi, guys. Um, my name is Alicia Aiken. I'm calling from Byron, Minnesota. Um, I'm calling because I listened to the podcast. Oh, I love your podcast. But I was listening to the clothing episode this weekend, and um, I have a good, really, some really good recommendations to help find women's clothing that is responsibly made. Um, there's a blogger that basically she works as an ethicist, and then this is like her side passion. But if you go to thegarment.ca, she's Canadian. So thegarment.ca, you can see her um, website and blog, and also you can find her on The Garment Life on Instagram. Um, Other companies that I personally love are Ace and Jig. Um, Their stuff is expensive, but really cool and beautiful fabrics. It's all ethically made. Um, And I also really like Bridge and Burn from Portland. Anyways, just thought maybe that would be helpful. All right, y'all. Big thanks to Lori Gottlieb. Check out her book. It's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone and her podcast, Dear Therapist. We have a bunch more surprise questions for Lori this Thursday on Patreon. That's the maximal episode on the Minimalist Private Podcast. It's a long-form podcast. Patreon.com slash The Minimalist to find that there. Real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of The Minimalist. I know I already gave away a couple tour tickets. We're going on tour, Ryan. We'll be in Texas and Seattle and Los Angeles and San Francisco and Toronto and Vancouver and Columbus and Chicago and Minneapolis and New York and Boston and D.C. and Orlando and Nashville and Atlanta. And I'm missing a few other cities as well. Come out and see us. Dude. I am so looking forward to getting back on the road. It's been three years since we've been on the road. You know, it's a little, it's a little, uh, a little bit of a bummer because of COVID that we probably can't do the hug line. Mm. Uh, but I'm telling you, man, like that, just that connection with the audience, uh, taking the questions and 
doing the live podcast like that that is my favorite part of this whole gig man it's in like, any city where they let us do a hug line we'll try to figure this out <laughs> right exactly Maybe we'll sneak people we'll, we'll do like contraband hugs <laughs> hey man you need one of them hugs i got them right over here <laughs> come backstage for a hug <laughs> oh god <laughs> we <laughs> said <laughs> hugs not drugs <laughs> <laughs> hey man you got any hugs <laughs> Yes, we do. They're uh, back in the green room. Oh, dude, I cannot. I can't wait. You know, it's it's exhausting being on the road, but it's like the most delightful exhaustion ever. Yes, it's yeah. this joyous. I remember Kobe Bryant, his very last game, sadly, was against the Utah Jazz, and uh, he scored 60 points that game. And I've never seen a more tired person in my mm. life. This is back in 2016. I mean, his nose was red, like Rudolph red. Mm. I think he was breathing so hard. But you could just see this pure joy that was emanating from him it wasn't excitement it was something else it was something more than it was everything yeah and i feel that we're on the road by the way we're trying to make all of these all ages shows most of them are there's a few of these i believe it's like salt lake city there's a state law that if they serve alcohol you can't be under 21 and be there we're trying to get around that if possible most of these are all ages because a lot of people bring their 16 year old their 17 year old or quite often their 16 year old brings the parents to <laughs> one of these events most of these are all ages you can find all the cities all the ticket information get your tickets soon these are smaller venues and a lot of them are already selling quite a few tickets we just announced this last week so there is plenty of time for you to get it now because if you wait a month two months three months well mm. you, then you might have to buy tickets from a scalper or something else so we don't want that the tickets are reasonably priced theminimalists.com slash tour. Come here, Ryan, give a talk. I'm going to give a reading. We're going to have a live podcast. We're going to answer your questions. We're going to have an outstanding night. Experience a night of less. For our added value this week, Ryan, I thought we listened to this new song by Juvenile, Manny Fresh, and Mia X. It's called <laughs> Vax That Thing Up. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> We're actually not going to listen to it's that. It's so good. It's though. so good because it's so, so bad. Yes. I mean, you talk about ruining. We're actually, we're not listening to it. They, they did this commercial PSA for vaccines. Oh, my and God. And you take a piece, I mean, it. Yeah, it sounds weird to call you know, back that ass up a piece of art, but it is. A, it's it's a it's called a piece of art, and and it's iconic. It absolutely is an iconic song, and then you ruin it with uh, by creating a some sort of public service announcement. Vax that thing up. He's like using uh, vaccine cards, like making it rain. Vaccine cards. Right. Oh my god, <laughs> so absurd. Uh, anyway, yeah. Regardless of of how you feel about the vaccines, it is you you will find that absurd no matter where you are on the the spectrum. You'll watch a video <laughs> like that. Yes, but. The actual added value this week. I've been using this app, Ryan. I know you did this this breathing exercise with uh, Jacob a few weeks ago, where you hosted a, a breathing class. Mm. And um, I think it's absurd, first off, that I have to have an app on my phone to remind <laughs> me to breathe, because it is something I literally do all day, every day. Even when I'm sleeping, I yeah. breathe. Dude, life is absurd. Amen to that. <laughs> I use an app. I think it's free. Uh, the ad-free version might cost a dollar or something. I, I don't know. This is not an advertisement. It's something I find value in. My doctor actually recommended it to me. It's called iBreathe. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But anytime throughout the day, it can, it'll can it just pop up a reminder, remind you to breathe. But it gives you these breathing exercises as well. So you can do like box breathing. Inhale for five seconds, hold for five seconds, exhale for five seconds, hold for five seconds. Or they have these other patterns as well that have been proven effective for relieving stress and anxiety. And we're talking about a lot of that on the Maxwell episode this week as well. So we're just going to finish this episode with the good old Peter Doran song. 
every little thing that's our theme song yeah by the way we have a bunch more surprise questions this week ryan like when is mental health just a buzzword that justifies poor behavior how do you help someone who is struggling with anxiety or depression while maintaining your own self-care what is the role of the ego in our negative feelings? What are some signs that someone is dependent on their therapist? Plus, a million more questions for Lori Gottlieb. And if you want to hear all that, join us on The Minimalist Private Podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash The Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. By the way, there are two tiers over there who actually get recordings of all of our live events as well so if you can't join us in salt lake city but you'd like to listen to that event or see the event you can do that if you are one of those patreon supporters you also get access no matter what tier you're on to all of our archives hundreds of hours of minimalism plus our patreon community interact with people who are open-minded or like-minded over there patreon.com slash the minimalist you can follow the minimalist on facebook twitter and instagram at the minimalist if you have a question comment or minimalism tip for our podcast email a voice memo to podcast at the minimalists.com you can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash the minimalist and if you want our show notes in your inbox sign up for our email list it's free we'll send you any new minimalist writings that we publish as well for free and if you leave here today with just one message let it be this Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it